Today's sponsor is Story Patches. No quilt is complete without a label, yet many quilters skip this critical last step. Story Patches Quilt Labels makes labeling a breeze. Your voice and your story matter to your family and friends, and Story Patches are the perfect way to capture and connect that story. These ready-to-use labels come in a variety of designs to match your quilt and take the pain out of labeling. So use the offer code NAPS, N-A-P-S, to get 20% off your order at storypatches.com. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 84 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about building a business as a crafter with my guest, Jennifer Perkins. Jennifer Perkins is an Austin, Texas-based creative consultant. During her lengthy career in the craft industry, she has run a successful jewelry business, Naughty Secretary Club hosted television shows, Craft Lab and Stylicious on the DIY Network, been the editor-in-chief of a magazine, Kids Crafts 123, started by Walmart, and everything in between. Her distinct style and love of color and kitsch has followed her throughout all of these adventures. When she's not crafting or pursuing the aisles of flea markets, she's home with her husband of 13 years and two kids, ages five and seven. Jennifer Perkins, welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Abby. I'm so glad to finally have the chance to talk with you. I feel like you're someone who has been working in the crafts industry for so long, much longer than me. And you have so, you've done so many different and, and really amazing things that it's going to be really interesting to hear your story. So why don't we start at the beginning? I know that now you live in Austin and you've lived there for a long time. Did you grow up in Texas? I did grow up in Texas, but I'm actually from a small town called McKinney, which is about 40 miles north of Dallas. And then I came to Austin to go to college and I was coming up here anyway all the time to come see bands play and <laughs> go buy records. So I thought, well, I'll kill two birds with one stone and go to college here and then I'll be closer to all the bands I'm driving to see anyway. Okay. Right. So did you go to the University of, it's Texas at Austin, right? Is that the, the college? UT. Yeah. No, actually I went to a, a school that's now called it was called Southwest Texas State University when I went. It's actually in a suburb of Austin called San Marcos. But like now I think it's called like Texas State. They've changed it since I went there. But it's in a town called San Marcos right outside of Austin. Okay. And what did you major in? Did you major in something artistic? <laughs> you know, I didn't. I have a degree in psychology. Oh, wow. Um, both of my parents are psychologists. So I think like initially I thought like, you know, I'm going to take over the family business, go right into that private practice. But then you know, the crafting creative bug just kind of hit and never let go. So I like to tell people I'm a well-adjusted crafter. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so um, I know you, I mean, your parents for, for work were, were psychologists, but for, for fun, um, at least some of the time they did some crafty things. Is that right? Yeah, my mom definitely like even my grandmother, her mother had like, I don't know, like a master's degree in education. But like, I think just because like, it was like school was a thing you should do. But she's kind of like my mom where it was like, she was always doing ceramics and, you know, knitting or crocheting. And the same thing with my mom. I mean, she has done the whole progression like I have, like this week, I'm into weaving and this week, I'm into pottery and this week, I'm into painting. So no, she's like the queen of craft my mom. So, and she got it from her mom and my sisters that way too. So did you guys, you and you have two sisters? I have one sister. One sister. Okay. So mm -hmm. did you and your sister do lots of like crafty things as kids? You know, we did. I wouldn't say it was like, you know, back then, like in the seventies and eighties, I don't know that it was even like, you know, it's not like now where it's like, we're crafting with our kids. I think it was like, here's some blank t-shirts of your dad's and a bucket of puffy paint, like get to town. And so that was always kind of my sister's jam. And then, you know, I always kind of say the legend is I got started in jewelry because I don't know why I fell in love with fishing lures because they were like neon colors and had glitter in them. And I started making earrings out of fishing lures and selling them at family garage sales. And my sister would sell like her little puffy paint t-shirts. 
So, you know, it wasn't like we formally sat down and all did a craft project together, but it was always, you know, real encouraged if that's what we wanted to do. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. And you know what? My, my childhood is actually pretty similar when it comes to crafting. That that pretty much describes, like, we had lots of access to supplies and, um, you know, and free time to work on them. And it was certainly encouraged, but it wasn't as though it was like uh, this conscious sort of parenting technique of doing crafts with their children or something like that, which seems, yeah. today seems like we're really pressured to do but um but when I was a kid we did crafts but not in that way exactly like now it's like a more formal thing like yeah of course I do crafts with my kids and back then it was just like we didn't all sit down and sing kumbaya and do crafts together (laughs) you know it's like I am with my kids if my mom was crafting I was right next to her going like can I make one too right oh right just like my kids do too everything I make there's like Uh a kid size version of it happening right next to me, I promise you. <laughs> so, okay, so you, so what happened right after college? What was your first job? Right after college, I was a secretary, literally, literally, that's where the name came from. I was an administrative assistant and I did that for a couple of years. It was just kind of one of those things where it was like easy and it, you know, I had health insurance, but they really it was one of those kind of things where the company was so big and my boss didn't really like utilize me. And so nobody did. So I just kind of sat there and got a paycheck and did nothing. And it was the onset of, you know, the internet as, as it is now, as we know it with like posting boards and, you know, things like that and blogs. So, you know, I was the secretary, you know, getting a paycheck for that. But while I was at the office, since no one had anything for me to do, I started a blog, which basically at the time was just writing music reviews or I would interview bands and I would have the occasional craft project. But at that point, it was really, you know, kind of more music-y things. But that's where the name Naughty Secretary Club came from, because technically I was a secretary, but no one, I don't think I ever like filed a paper. Okay. So what year was this? That was... Lord, 96, maybe 90. I'm trying to think when I got married. I got married in, did I get married in 98? I don't even remember. I should know these things, but (laughs) no, I started dating my husband in 98. So it was about 1998 when all this was happening, like fresh out of college, you know, job as a secretary, but kind of doing my own thing on the side. And, and did Naughty Secretary Club, was that a zine first? It was a zine. Yeah, that's how it got started as I was, um, like I said, it was like a music zine and I had, you know, music reviews and band reviews. But then I also kind of had some like home decor things and maybe some recipes. And then I kind of started getting in to crafts. And then once like the jewelry part started, then like most things, like the other part just kind of fell to the side because I was so busy doing the jewelry. So then, you know, what was a zine kind of turned into more of like a blog that got ignored while I did the jewelry business. And that became the, the big portion of Naughty Secretary Club. Okay. So, so the zine, I mean, I think of zines as being printed. Was that printed? Uh, no, it was um, online, but all through high school and in college, I had done a print zine called Scratch and Sniff. And so and that was kind of my first like official, you know, foray into to doing like creative things on like a bigger scale, you know, writing the zine, doing music reviews and band interviews. And it was kind of a, a feministy thing. And, you know, I would go and like print it and mail it out all across the country. So before I even started Naughty Secretary Club was shipping out orders, I was already pretty well versed from high school with, you know, shipping out zines and knowing how all that kind of worked. Right. I, I love, um, you know, I think of like Boing Boing, which also started as a zine. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I love sort of that. It's something that we often don't realize or remember that the very many of the very early blogs were sort of the continuation of the zine or inc- reincarnation of the zine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is something very, I don't know, similar to the way that a blog is or could be. Um, to the way that a zine was, where you can really publish anything you want, and it's self-published, and it's distributed to a niche audience of people who want to receive it, and it can combine writing and pictures and design, and anyway, there's just, um, there's there's really a similarity there, and I um, I think you're one of those people who <laughs> sort of crossed over, you know, from that sort of self-publishing to self-publishing online. Um, exactly. Yeah, okay, so, so you were working... Um, 
as a, and I have the official title, or at least the official title that I, that I heard you say in a, a YouTube video or something a while back, which was, you are an executive administrative assistant to business and government relations. That was, that's exactly it. I haven't <laughs> heard that title in a long time. That was it. Which is a secretary. And um, you started this, this blog. Um, and called Naughty Secretary Club and and then started making the jewelry. And was there like a pivot point there where you felt like, all right, enough with this actual secretary thing. I'm going to go ahead and do this jewelry thing. Uh, yeah, there really, there was actually, um, you know, I was over, I'd gotten to the point, I just kind of fell into the whole jewelry making thing. You know, it wasn't like, I just kind of, you know, one of those stories you hear like where I was making it for myself and then I was making it for friends and then their friends wanted it and blah, 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 blah. And so, um, but you know, it had gotten to the point where I was selling it from my website and selling it to some stores here in Austin and, you know, a few wholesale accounts. And then it got to the point where I was like, you know, having to go mail packages on my lunch break from my office job, coming straight home from my office job, making jewelry, you know, sometimes having to do some stuff first thing in the morning before I left for the said office job. And then uh, Bus Magazine contacted me and they asked if they could feature the jewelry. And I was like, you know, who was I to say no? So I was like, sure, of course. Well, when the feature with Bust came out and it was like, I don't even remember. I haven't seen the picture in so long, but it was like a, you know, a half page or a full page of the bracelets I was making, like just my inbox just exploded. You know, things were just coming in faster than I could make them. And it was really that, that point where I was at to say, well, either I can keep the administrative assistant job and tell, you know, half of these people, no, I don't have the time, literally don't have the time to make this jewelry, or I can quit the administrative assistant gig and just take the leap and do jewelry full time. And, you know, so obviously I did the latter because I had never had any intention of being an administrative assistant for my entire life. It was just the first job that said yes, straight after college and I needed to pay rent. So I was just like, well, there'll, there'll be other administrative assistant jobs if this jewelry gig doesn't work out. So really I have Bus Magazine and Debbie Stoller to thank for getting that crafty ball rolling for me. And can you describe what the jewelry looked like that you were making at that time? Um, at that time, it was resin jewelry that I was making with like casting resin and ice cube trays. And it had um, pictures in it, like pictures of celebrities or rock stars, which of course now, you know, I know is a no-no, but you know, where people would send me pictures of their children and things like that. And I would, um, cast it inside. So it kind of looked like clear plastic with pictures inside. And it was just real clunky and crude. And then eventually from there, I kind of started tapering that off and quit doing that altogether and then started doing kind of more reworked vintage stuff and the bigger, the bigger kitschier pieces, which I eventually had more success with as far as like press goes and features than I did with the resin anyway. Okay. And how did how did Bust find you? I mean, was it was it by being online or were they in Austin and scouting you? I mean, how did they find you? You know, that's a good question. I think back then that community of people was so small. I mean, now it's just so saturated. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I'm glad so many people are into the creative industry. But I think back then it was a much smaller pool to, you know, find people in. And so I think, you know, since I was one of the few people that like had this online thing and had a presence and, um, you know, I probably, since it is such a small world and I'd done things like the Renegade Craft Fair, I think that was all kind of happening at the same time. And, you know, Renegade Craft Fair up in New York when that all first got started. So it's just kind of, at that point, it was still the creative world and the kind of creative, like punk rock makers movement at that time was so small and incestuous that, you know, you knew somebody that knew somebody that worked at bust and I'm sure it was just word of mouth. Okay. And, and, um, so you quit and you, and you started doing this full time and kind of changed jewelry direction. And, um, and I, I read an article about you that described you this way, which I thought was really interesting. Jennifer helped pioneer the DIY resurgence and put Austin on the map as the craft mecca that it is today. And so I think part of that came from, um, from helping to found the Austin Craft Mafia. And I wondered if you could tell us what that is and, and what it does or what it did. Um, 
Well, the Austin Craft Mafia was right when I was kind of real early stages of Naughty Secretary Club. My friend Jenny Hart, who runs Sublime Stitching, and my friend Tina Sparkles, who at the time had a company called Sparklecraft, the three of us were kind of getting together occasionally just to, you know, have coffee or go have dinner and just kind of discuss the nuances of business and how to market it and what to do because we were all just, you know, new to it and we just didn't know. So we just kind of had this little, you know, for lack of a better term, this kind of little boss babes group where we just kind of discussed all things business. And from there, we just kind of met, you know, a few other makers here in town that, you know, had a similar mindset and a similar agenda. And so we started the Austin Craft Mafia, all of us together. And I think out of that group, I mean, obviously a lot of people know Jenny Hart and she still does Sublime Stitching. Um, and then Vicki Howell is in the group who's still really big in the craft scene. She does knitting. And myself, my sister Hope, a girlfriend, Suzanne, who works at IBM now, another girl, Carly, who uh, is a, a graphic design artist, a girl named Jessie, who I think does baking now. So not all of us are still in the craft industry, but at the time we were all just kind of finding our you know, finding our sea legs and how everything worked. And we just kind of all came together as this one big force to kind of help each other out. Okay. And so the Austin Craft Mafia, what kind of, so did you guys do like organized programming that took place or shows that took place in the city? Not so much under the umbrella of Austin Craft Mafia. Our kind of thing was just to help each other out. Like it was, you know, a small group of, I think there was like seven or eight of us. And so it would be like, if I took an ad out in Bus Magazine, like I always said, member of the Austin Craft Mafia and had the URL. If Jenny Hart took an ad out in Ready Made for Sublime Stitching, she would say member of the Austin Craft Mafia and had the URL. So it was really just this like communal group just for us and our businesses to help each other out that you see what I mean to help yeah. each other out that way now from that group four of us went on and did a show called stitch which was a really big before renegade was traveling outside of New York and Chicago it was a really big show here in Austin that was part fashion show and part um craft bazaar and you know we had people like Etsy and simplicity and uh, I love to create and big, you know, Tom shoes, big companies like that, that would come when the last year we did it, we did it for five or six years. The last year we did it, we were at the Austin convention center. And I think at that point, it just like was so big and so many big co corporate companies were getting involved. We were all just like, I don't know what to do, bury our heads in the sand. And then I was like, I'm just going to get pregnant. So I don't have to deal with this. <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay. And so, um, so that was sort of a, a period of, of, of your life doing that and, and running that show stitch. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I feel like, you know, I, I want to just return to the jewelry first for a second, which is to say that, um, that's not the only thing that you do. And so for people who are maybe less familiar with your work overall, um, if you could just bring us up to date, I know you describe yourself as a Jill of all trades when it comes to craft. So just tell us a little bit about kind of all the different kinds of work that you love to make and, and sort of have made a name for yourself doing. You mean like as of recently what I'm kind yeah, of doing? Yeah, just as of now, just to bring us up to date. On, we'll, okay. we'll kind of go back in a minute to um, to the journey, but I just want to make sure people know that now you do so many different things. And, um, and so just to give them a sense of what those are. Okay. Um, well, you know, like I said, it all started with the jewelry and then I was kind of joking saying I got pregnant and quit stitch, but uh, not long after my daughter was born, who's seven, my website for Naughty Secretary Club broke, just kind of, you know, randomly broke. And I was like, you know what, I'm not going to fix this. Like, I just don't have time to, to do these orders and stuff anyway with the baby. And so, you know, she got older and I was still crafting, doing my own thing and, you know, putting it on my website, putting it on Naughty Secretary Club when it was still a blog. I mean, now it's jenniferperkins.com, but, you know, putting those projects up there. And then like little by little people started like contacting me, like I love to create who does like Aliens Tacky Glue and Tulip and all those things contacted me and asked me if I wanted to blog for them once a week. So I was like, sure. So I did that for, I don't know, six years. And then I got in touch with BlogHer, and I was their DIY editor for several years. So just little things came up here and there. But what, I, and you know, 
uh, you know, then the Christmas tree company thing came up and then DIY network came calling, asking me to, you know, do some things. And I think what I eventually discovered is I love jewelry and I still occasionally make jewelry, but I think I'm most happy when I'm not pigeonholed into, I just make jewelry. That's my thing. That's all I do. I'm much happier now that, you know, I do whatever random crafts, you know, if I'm doing a YouTube video, making air dry clay, not YouTube, but Facebook live video, making air dry clay pottery, or I'm, you know, being paid by Christmas tree company to style elaborate Halloween trees or, you know, throwing a ugly Christmas sweater party for DIY network. I'm much happier now that I have all these random, you know, craft related things than when I was just like, you do jewelry. That's what you do all day, every day. Like now I kind of, I do a lot more random general craft. I want to take a minute now to hear a word from our sponsor, Story Patches. This is Mike Newman with Story Patches. Story Patches are quilt labels that really let you tell and save your quilt story in a way you never could before. What makes them special are these codes that are pre-printed on them that you use to add a little voice or video recording that lives on with that quilt. So now you've got a label, which you always need to have, but then you also have your voice and that quilt story right there with it. So they're machine washable and they look and feel great. And then they just have these little printed codes that uh, you use at our website or with our smartphone app. How does the recipient access the recording? So they get the quilt like in the mail, for example, for the holidays or something like that. And they see there's this code on the back on this label. And so where do they go to find out what the code leads to? They can uh, do two, one of two things. So they can either go to the Story Patches website and there's a 10 letter code that's on the label that they can type in and play it from the website. Or if they're smartphone uh, natives, they can scan the code with their phone with any barcode reader and it'll play right there on their phone. And how hard is it to make the message? It's really simple. So all they do is they, they go to the site or the app and they will enter the code and then it just walks you through. It's kind of a one, two, three thing. So you, you choose the kind of message you want. Uh, there's a record button you press and then press save. So it's, it's really meant to be used for somebody that they don't have to study up beforehand. It's just, it walks you through it. One, two, three. And, um, you know, my, my mom is the one who I sort of built it around who's she doesn't like technology at all. So I had to make sure she could figure it out. And once I knew she could figure it out, I knew anyone could use it. And that's that's been the case. So we make it really simple. The quilts are obviously more than just the fabric and the colors and the pattern. They're about that relationship that you have with the quilter and the recipient. And this allows you to hear them and have them be with that quilt in a way they never could before. And that's been really special. Use the code NAPS to get 20% off your order at storypatches.com. And now back to my conversation with Jennifer. I mean, it is random in a way and because it's general crafts, as you said. And I think uh-huh. um, sometimes people get advice to say that you need to really niche down and pick one thing that you're going to become known for. And you can never build a career being a generalized crafter. And you're a proof that that's not true. I will say, though, that there are thematic you know, tie-ins that kind of bring it all together. I would say that your style, you know, you have a specific aesthetic and style that's sort of kitschy. Um, Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, late 60s, 70s kind of color, you know, palette. Um, You do a lot of like home decor crafts. So there is something that does tie it together and make it like a Jennifer Perkins project, Um, even though, you know, it might be clay one day and um, a tree another day. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people tell me that like, oh, you know, I saw the picture and I like knew it was something you did before. I read your name and and that's true. Like I do lots of different things, but they all do kind of have that, that kitsch and color to it, which can be, you know, for me, it's in my career, it's been a benefit and it's been a a detriment, you know, it depends on who you're working for. And, you know, I kind of had a, a bit of an existential crisis earlier this summer because I was just kind of like, man, you know, I'm trying to get gigs with these big craft companies, but I'm just not, I'm just not on trend. I'm just not that like everybody's going to love what I do. Either you like what I do, you love what I do, or you like really hate it and it's too much, you know? And if you're trying to work with giant craft companies, a lot of times my style is just a little too 
a little too, too. And I just realized like, I can't be a square peg and fit into a round hole, you know, mainly because like I'm a trapezoid style peg. Like I've got my, my own thing. And I just, even when I try to make it work for other companies, it just doesn't. So I've just quit trying. Right. Yeah, no. And I think that that's a really important point too, because I think, you know, we struggle with that feeling of maybe our aesthetic is not the hip aesthetic of the moment, you know, or maybe the craft that we like to do most isn't, you know, macrame and weaving, which are the two, mm-hmm. you know, these two, you know, hyper trendy crafts of the moment. Um, and so it's like, do we drop everything and, and change or do we try to just incorporate little bits here and there? Or do we just forget about it and say, you know, this is what's true to me. And it might mean that there's periods of time where I'm less popular. I, I think both, you know what I mean? I think like if you stay true to you and your style, like it'll, you know, it'll wax and wane. Like sometimes like everybody wants to work with you and other times they want to, you know, a, wouldn't touch you with a 10 foot pole because you're so over the top. It just kind of depends. You know, just you just got to weather the storm and have lots of, you know, and be diversified in what you do and where your income comes from. So, you know, when one when one part of the industry is just like, you've got cooties, the other one's like, oh, yeah, totally into that. (laughs) So so you've had all these neat opportunities and I kind of want to go back to to going through those a little bit. And, And I'm mainly interested in how they came about, because I think that is something that people are curious about and they're sort of sometimes lessons there around how we can make things come about for our own businesses. So I want to start with um, TV because that's something really unusual that you've had the opportunity to do that very few people get the opportunity to do. And it just sounds so incredibly fun and interesting. And so you hosted this um, Stylicious, the show. Was that for HGTV or... That was for, I think maybe they showed it on HGTV too, but it was for technically for DIY Network. And I co-hosted that with the other girls from the Austin Craft Mafia. There would be like, there would be like three of us on an episode at a time and like, I may make make jewelry and Vicky might needle felt something. And then my sister might, you know, paint something on a purse. Yeah. I think I watched maybe an episode of that show where you were making like melted record bracelets. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um and Vicky was there, so that's that's why I was like, oh yeah. Okay. And then and then you also um hosted Craft Lab uh, which was on the DIY network. And so I'm wondering how those opportunities came to you. I know you mentioned that, you know, the community was just so small and people all could know each other because hey, there weren't that many people in this sort of punk rock, you know, um sort of retaking the meaning of craft and um and you know, that that community which I got in a, a little bit late. I, w- I came in in 2005, so I was a little bit um, later than that than you were for sure. But um, so I, but I, but I remember it. And anyway, so was it just because you knew people, or did you pitch, or how did those two opportunities come come to be? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, really, it's from Vicky is how the TV stuff came. Vicky is from Los Angeles and had worked in the. TV and film industry, you know, not kind of being an administrative assistant. She wasn't like hosting or anything, but she had started a stitch and bitch group in LA. So then she moved here because her husband was from here and that's how she and I even met. So once she got here, oddly, she saw like someone contacted her because of her stitch and bitch group and said, we're casting for a knitting television show that we're going to film here in California. Do you know anybody that would be interested? And so she was like, sure, I'm interested. So, you know, she flew out there and nitty gritty and the rest is history. But, you know, she and I had become friends in the Austin Craft Mafia while she was here. And she was like, why don't you come out to L.A. and hang out while I'm out here? You know, I'll take you around L.A. since she's from there. And who am I to say no to trips to L.A.? So, I went out there and came on set a couple of times and there just happened to be some executives from DIY network there on the days I was there. And, you know, I, we just got to talking and we kind of told them about the Austin craft mafia that we had this whole group and that we all kind of were real diverse and what it was that we did. And they just kind of took an interest in it and we're like, Oh, well that sounds interesting. I think nitty gritty was having some success. And then back then, you know, they had crafters coast to coast on HGTV um, which I had also done an episode of. And I must have seen your episode because I watched every episode of that show. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I was on there. I made a resin necklace with a picture of my dog, Lucy. Um, so from there, they were just like, 
you know, I think they were just like, hey, this craft thing's working for us. So let's like, you know, and obviously there was Carol Duvall and all those kind of people. So they were like, let's try this other show. So they brought us all out there or actually somebody came here and kind of interviewed us. We had to like audition in a hotel room and it was excruciating, but I guess we all did. Okay. And we got the show and we flew out to LA, you know, kind of in shifts and we did that show. And from there, the production company said, do any of you guys want to apply? They want to hire someone HGTV and DIY do for um, a daily craft show where there will be a host and there'll be guests. And I was like, "Mm -mm, nope, not me. Like that was excruciatingly stressful. Like I sure don't want to do it. So, you know, so I think all the other girls maybe applied and I was just like, nope. And then they came back to me that summer and were like, you know, are you sure you don't want to apply? And I was like, Mm-mm, sure don't. Like, I did not like the TV experience just because I, you know, I'm not I, at that time. I wasn't like a great public speaker. Not that I'm awesome at it now, but it just super stressed me out. I just didn't like it because Stylicious was scripted and you had to like remember lines and blah, 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 blah. So it was just stressful. And uh, then they came back like a third time and were like, please come and do the show for us. Like, we really want you to host it. And I was just like, all right, fine. So then that's kind of how I got Craft Lab. I know that sounds like a horrible story. Like I reluctantly did it. But mainly it was just because, you know, I had to go live in Los Angeles for six weeks. I was married. I had to leave my husband and go like live in a hotel for six weeks at a time. But then, you know, also it was just from my experience with with Stylicious, it was just stressful. I mean, it's like public speaking all day, every day, you know, and so. And you film, you film like three episodes a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Or like three or four. I mean, it was like a ton. I mean, it would just be like overwhelming. It would be like, all right, we're doing Christmas before lunch and then we're going to do, you know, fabric crafts and this and that. And, you know, I quickly acclimated to it and I, I reluctantly did it, but I look back at it as one of the best times of my life. It was so fun. And I met so many amazing people that I'm still like super tight with people like Kathy Conamaria, the Crafty Chica, Tracy Bautista, I got to work with Alyssa Burke, you know, all kinds of really cool people came on my show that I was like super excited to get to meet and work with. And, you know, as someone who like genuinely loves crafts and loves to do all different kinds of crafts, it was, you know, it turned out to be a dream job. It was like four different kinds of crafts a day. Yes. Right. So despite the stress, um, in the end, it was a good thing. They were right that you were the right person to do it. Yeah, it was. It was fine. Like I said, the first one was like scripted. So that was hard. The first season of uh, Craft Lab had like a teleprompter, like for the intro. And it's like, anybody can read a damn teleprompter. And then by the second season, they were just like, just go ad lib it. Like you can say whatever you want. And so. And when I watch, I mean, you, you mentioned Facebook live a few minutes ago and, um, and you've been doing some really nice Facebook lives. And I watched one, um, not too long ago where you made these air dry clay planters with faces on them. Um, and I feel like, um, I, I've done a Facebook live and it was, it was hard, uh, and I practiced and it was still hard. And, um, but you're very poised and, you do, you know, you're demonstrating a craft and reassuring people that they can really do it and it's not going to be too hard. And, you know, you show them exactly the right products to use and what, what kind of problems they might encounter and how to solve them and all of that stuff. And I feel like, um, I, you know, was your TV experience helpful down the road when it comes to doing these other things that who knew that they were going to pop up as opportunities? You know, Facebook Live certainly wasn't on the radar back then. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I I think it really has. It's funny because it's like I always did like public speaking, like debate club and stuff like in grade school. And then for whatever reason, in college, I just got like everybody. I got like so phobic of public speaking, like, you know, literally took speech like my last semester in college and sweated through those speeches I had to do. So I think that's why like I was I didn't enjoy stylicious because it felt like public speaking all over again. But it really, you know, made me like get over that and remember that like you used to be good at this. You used to enjoy doing this before, you know, you got old enough to be self-conscious about it. And so, yeah, you know, in a lot of ways it has paid off in my career, you know, whether it's been like doing a TV show or the Facebook live shows or, you know, or those kind of things, like it, it has behooved me as a, as a life skill. I mean, I have to speak in front of my children's elementary school tomorrow morning and I'm sweating bullets about it for some reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? My, the other PTA people are like, but you've done television. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the same thing. It's a cafeteria full of kids and teachers. <laughs> <laughs> 
like freaking out about it, but I'll be all right. Um, so, okay. So another neat opportunity that you, you've had, and I just like to go through these cause they're so interesting and varied, um, is you wrote a book, um, by the same, same name as your, as your blog, Naughty Secretary mm-hmm. Club. And was, how did that opportunity come, come about? And that one was, it, it's mostly jewelry. Is that right? Yeah, it's all, it's all jewelry. All jewelry. Um, okay. you know, it kind of a, at the time, like, you know, I always say like, if you can get like press for like one thing, you know, like if you get, if you get press for like, say a piece of jewelry and then like at that time it was like, well, I was in team Vogue, let's say, well, then you better bet that 17 is going to come calling and L girl and bop and everybody, you know, they all want it. If it's in one magazine, then they like all want it. And it's kind of the same thing. There was just all this momentum going with the company and I was featured in lots of magazines, you know, my jewelry was, and then I had the TV show and, it was just kind of one of those things where the publisher came to me and back then they were handing out book craft book deals. You know, you didn't have to like blink and somebody would be like, and here's your contract sign right here. (laughs) You know, now it's a lot harder. Like now I've been trying to get like book deals and people are like, yeah, nah, like, you know, now it's just like, they're sacred. Nobody wants to give them out. But you know, I think, uh, F and W just kind of came to me. I had friends that I had worked with on craft lab. Like, like I said, like Tracy Bautista, for example, who put me in touch with them and they were, you know, I didn't even have to write a proposal. They were like, yeah, do it. Let's do this book. Like, and this let's make- was back in what? 2008, 10, something like that. Yeah. Back okay. a while back pre pre kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah, back, back in that era. Yeah. Cause I was pregnant with Tallulah at the book launch. So, in, so about 2007, 2000, Hey, you know, and I had done lots of um, projects in other people's books and other magazines, mm-hmm. you know, um, like Susan Beale or, you know, lots of books on like with jewelry projects, but then also lots of books on business at that point, because I used to teach small business classes like here in Austin, you know, small craft business classes. So I'd been in lots of books about blogging or business or, you know, interviewed by the Wall Street Journal for that kind of stuff. So I'd been in other snippets, but that was my my one like it's all my book. Right, right, right. Okay, cool. And then, um, okay, and so then one one last sort of um, opportunity that's interesting, which um, which I want to make sure we get to, which is about um, being the editor of this magazine, Kids Crafts One Two Three. How did that come about? Yeah, you know, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, gee whiz, how did that come about? Like, I can't even think of it. Um, I am not sure off the top of my head how that came about. I just remember they contacted me and were like, you know, and, and I, you know, started by a publishing company that like had gotten a deal through Walmart. So I wouldn't say like Walmart, like was like, yeah, we're going to, you know, start this magazine. It's like they contacted a publishing company and the publishing company started it. I, the publishing company just reached out to me and was like, are you interested in being a, the editor in chief of this magazine. And at the time, as all new crafty mommies do, you know, I'd been doing lots of kid related crafts for I Love to Create and blog her in my own website. So I think they saw that and just reached out to me to see if I would be interested. And, you know, I like to collect odd jobs. So I was like, well, I don't I don't have this one. I haven't ever been a magazine editor. So sure, I'll do it. Right, right, right. Totally. And I, I like and, how you said I like to collect odd jobs. I also really like to collect <laughs> odd jobs. And um, I was on a podcast, it was on the Creative Lives podcast, uh, I don't know, like six months ago. And um, the host asked me how I earn my income. And I swear it was like 40 different things. And, exactly. um, uh, and she was just laughing. She's like, that's so many things. But but I do collect odd jobs. So, so can you tell us um, now, like, how, I mean, I know things have changed and you, you, all these different opportunities have come and, and, you know, you've pursued different things, but, but as of right now, where did your business's income, like what are the different streams that contribute to it? Who's paying my bills this yeah, week? Yeah. Like who are you, right. Where is it all coming? <laughs> where is it all coming from? Like what are, you know, what, what things are you doing that are actually making money at this moment? Um, the, you know, my steady thing that's like every month is I'm the brand ambassador for Treetopia. Which is a pretty dreamy job. I would like one time randomly mentioned on my blog, they had a candy corn tree and I like randomly just like threw it out and like linked to them and was like, like Treetopia, if you're listening, I sure would love one of your candy corn trees. I guess they were listening because they wrote me and were like, 
we want to send you this candy corn tree. And then, you know, a couple months after that, they asked me to be their brand ambassador. So that's kind of been a match made in heaven because I had a bazillion Christmas trees long before I started working for this company. And now I've got, it looks like a forest in my house right now. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not even kidding. I'm like, I can see like five trees from where I'm sitting on the floor. A beautifully, anyway. a beautifully decorated forest. Uh, I don't know about that. They're very, very stages. But anyway, so I work for them. That's my like every month for sure. And then um, in the last year or two, I have started working again with DIY Network and HGTV doing blog stuff. Um, tomorrow I have a big photo shoot for them where I'm doing like an ugly Christmas or an ugly Christmas sweater party snowflake projects, wrapping paper projects. I just did some Halloween content for them. So that's pretty regular, like seasonally, you know, they'll give me like a big order of stuff to do. And I'm in talks with them to do something, uh, more regular, not TV, but something kind of more regular. So we'll see. I'll keep everybody posted if that pans out. Um, and then, what else? You know, there's the occasional like freelance gig. You know how it is. Like people will contact you. Like I just wrote some articles for apartment therapy. I work with Tuesday morning every now and then, and they'll, you know, have me do some stuff. Um, gosh, who else? I've started working with, um, I'll say Activia, but that's the yogurt. I, uh, it's a clay and sand company. And I've started doing some projects for them. So it's just, you know, the DIY network and the Treetopia are my biggies. But there's always, you know, people that'll come in and say like, hey, do you want to do this like one off thing or, you know, a small little series and, you know, depending on my workload or what the pay is, you know, I'm like, sure, I'll go for it. So because my go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and have, have you monetized any of the, you know, I know you, you like doing the Facebook live. And, and so the one that I watched that I was referencing earlier about the, the clay, the air drying clay, um, face pots, what, mm -hmm. was that the clay, you know, company, did they sponsor that or what, you know, is that something different? No, I haven't gotten sponsored. No, I have friends that have. What I did do is because I, I have a relationship with Polyform because they had been on Craft Lab, you know, and I will say a continuing thread. I was just like talking to this photographer who was shooting my house for Flea Market Decor Magazine. And he was just like, how do you have all these jobs and all these people? Like a continuing theme going back to how I got that clay for that gig is, you know, they were guests on Craft Lab, which was however many years ago. But I think a really important thing in our industry is to always like, maintain relationships and, you know, keep in touch with people and just, you know, just be nice, you know, and always be nice and give people like shout outs and, you know, things like that. When you use their product, mention it and tag them online. I think that's really gotten me really far is just being friendly. I mean, you catch more bees with honey, you know? So anyway, so I had kept in touch with Polyform and I just contacted them. I mean, everything does better if there's a contest attached to it. So I was just like, Hey, do you want to, um, sponsor this and give away some free clay. I'm going to do this on air dry clay anyway, but if you guys want to be the ones that give away the free clay, that'd be awesome. So I didn't get paid for it, but they did sponsor or they did, you know, supply the, the prizes. Like I said, I have friends that are, are getting paid for that. And I would like to try to figure that out. But I think the people that are successful with that financially are the people that are doing it like every week and they're doing it real regularly. And you know, I'm just not that organized. And that means I have to brush my hair. I mean, you know, before we we're gonna do the podcast, I was like, are you gonna be able to see me? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what so I mean? So, like, so the Facebook live thing, I'm like, Oh, my God, that's a lot of maintenance. That means I gotta like, put on makeup and clean a corner in my house. And one day I'll make it work. But right now it's just spotty. Yeah, no. And I, I think though, that maintaining relationships is a really key point. And you know, there's different ways to do that. And one of them is, you know, to tag, tag the company when mm -hmm. you're using their product. Um, and do you have other ways that you, you know, kind of just stay in touch and keep it, you know, because staffing changes sometimes at companies and the person that was your email contact, you know, they've left and the new person, you don't know who they are and they don't know you and they don't have institutional history about, you know, hey, way mm -hmm. back, we used to work together. And so, you know, how, how else do you keep that sort of flame alive when, when you have these relationships? 
Um, you know, way back when I used to do, when I did Naughty Secretary Club, I used to like, for instance, like every holiday or not every holiday, every Christmas, I would get holiday cards printed up. Oh my gosh. That, you I'm know, just, I was just designing mine this morning. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I would literally like send in the mail because everybody can send an email, you know, holiday cards to lots and lots of my company contacts, my press contacts, people, the publishing companies I had worked with, all those kinds of things. You know, if I ever work with the company, I try to always send them a thank you note. I mean, I'm not always like great about mailing said thank you note, but you know, send them a note or an email or a text and, you know, just reiterating being thankful for, you know, that they took the time out to send me something or, you know, do me a solid, you know, one of those kind of things. I think just saying thank you and being appreciative goes a long way. And just as far as like getting on the, the radar and getting attention you know, of companies that you're trying to work with, if you use their products, whether or not they paid you or they're giving you an incentive, say it, tag it, you know, it's like, you know, you do that enough times. That's how I got the like six years I blogged with. I love to create is because I was using their products and I would tag it. And when I did, I would write them and say, Hey, I use this product, you know, just thought you might want to see it. Would you like to share it on your social media channels as well? And that's the way I just got this new gig with the sand and clay company is I had used their clay for a project for DIY network at Halloween. And I was sending it to, I was sending out the project to the various companies whose products I'd use, you know, just saying that, like, would you like to share it on your social media channels? Cause you know, the more exposure, the better, you know, I hope you like this. And they wrote back and were like, Oh, we love it. Would you like to do some, we have some blogging opportunities coming up. Would you like to work with us? Right. A lot of times it's just um, reminding people that you're still out there and that and, mm -hmm. and showing them what, what you're capable of. Um, and so and, and I really like your your point about snail mail. I think a thank you note, you just remember that a handwritten thank you note is so nice. And I also really advocate sending out holiday cards um, as a mm -hmm. business. I did it for the first time last year. And I'm doing it again. And as soon as I get someone's address, you know, whether like whatever business contact I have, I add it to my contacts. And that way I have a whole set of business related contacts, you know, separate from my, you know, family and, and personal contacts. And that way I can, um, you know, send these cards out in the mail and it's not that expensive. And it's so, I think it's so worth doing. Um, yeah. And everybody loves getting mail. Yeah. You, you, know? remind yeah. Them, you remind them like, Hey, I exist and I'm doing stuff and I can do stuff for you. And you know, that's just a well, nice check-in. Yeah, it's like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's like, right. you know, the crafty wheel gets the gig. <laughs> you know, whatever you want to say, it, you just got to kind of keep popping up going like, hey, don't forget about me. Still crafting over here. Yeah, I've been doing it forever. Keep right. it on, keep it on, you know. Just yeah, keep totally. Them. And you just got under their nose and that's a good thing to do. So so do you sell any um, of your own products? Are you making any money from selling things that you either make, handmade? I know you used to make and sell things that you made? And then did you shift away from that at a certain point? And are you selling anything that you make now? I mean, I, I'm like you when you were listening, when you were saying like, I've got so many side jobs, like I swear I've got so much side hustle, I forget about what side hustle I've got. But yes, I do have three Etsy stores, actually. Three? Um, wow. I know, okay. I know. Mm -hmm. From time to time, my uh, girlfriend here in Austin and I will do a vintage pop-up shop. And so, cause we both just like love shopping for vintage and things like that. And I just have a garage full of things for staging or for, you know, photographs. And then I kind of rotate out of my house. So once a year, she and I'll have a pop-up shop. So from that, I started an Etsy store called the, the Huntress Gatherer, where I sell kind of small vintage stuff. And I also just have an extensive collection of vintage costume jewelry and purses that I'm just kind of weeding through. I do have a naughty secretary club Etsy store. I don't like hand, I don't make new things for it. It's mostly selling supplies because, you know, I used to go to like Rhode Island and places like that and buy vintage jewelry supplies, thousands of dollars and boxes and boxes of it at a time and have it shipped back to Texas. So I still, I mean, I sold a lot of it, but I still have like a floor to ceiling garage full of like vintage jewelry parts. So I sell that on the Naughty Secretary Club one. And then I also have recently started a Jennifer Perkins art page where I've kind of started dabbling more. I wouldn't call it fine art. I'm using the term fine and art very loosely. But, you know, I have started selling um, some paintings and I'm actually going to be part of an art show here in Austin for the next two upcoming weekends called East, the East Austin Studio Tour. So 
So yes, technically I do have Etsy stores and I guess I do make things for the art store, but it's not my, you know, it's not, I'm not rolling in dollar bills over any of it. Right, right, right. But again, those are all different income streams. And so that's, that's good to point out. Um, Well, and Etsy, you know, is a, you know, I'm sure you know this, it's a pay to play play where it's like, the more you baby Etsy and the more you like add things every day at random times and, you know, post about it through your social media networks, the more orders you get. So it's the kind of thing, like if other things are slow, I can fall back on it and I know how to like work it and kind of baby it so that like orders will come in, you know, but when it's, when I'm doing other things, like right now I've got like 30 projects due for DIY network on Monday, you know, Etsy's low on my totem pole, so I'm not paying it any attention and therefore Etsy's not you know, I don't have any Etsy orders because I'm not kind of babying it along and doing things that would make me get more orders. Mm-hmm. No, I hear what you're saying. So, um, and I know that you, you mentioned loving to thrift and going to flea markets. And um, so I just want to focus on that a little bit because I think a lot of listeners also share that same love. And actually <laughs> on my run this morning, the church in town that has the best, we have several churches that have flea markets, but the, this one has the best flea market. I'm not exactly sure why I think it's, I think their membership is older, a lot of older ladies. And so they have lots of craft stuff that they like, so, like whole sewing stuff that they don't want, you know, and they just, uh-huh. um, so anyway, every time I go there, I find awesome <laughs> stuff, but it's this Saturday. I'm like, mark the calendar. So, no um, kidding. so I know you love to do that. So tell me, a little bit about like what are you looking for when you go thrifting you know I it depends like if I'm styling a shoot or I'm looking for something specifically like I definitely get like seasonal tunnel vision or project tunnel vision if I'm like you know like right now one of the projects I'm doing for DIY Network is like ugly sweater so I'm like you know all Christmas sweater all the time when I go in but a lot of times I'll just go like I just find it a nice what's the word I'm looking for? First of all, I find it kind of a nice reprieve, just kind of a a mental break to just go and like cruise the aisles randomly and just look for stuff. You know, I might not have anything that I'm looking for, but the other thing too is like, as to where some people for inspiration might cruise Pinterest, which of course I do, or, you know, look through a coffee table book for inspiration. I, I find that I get a lot of inspiration for projects I make or, things at the thrift store or the flea market. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a vintage craft that I'm like, Oh, that craft is cool. I'm going to emulate that and make it my own way, which, you know, obviously it happens, but you know, I always find like, for instance, my mom uh, collects vintage bark cloth. So I always like find that I'm like real inspired by vintage fabrics, you know, whether it be just in, you know, fabric you can buy that's like to be sewed or vintage dresses or whatever by the color combinations. And, you know, you were mentioning my color palettes. It's like I had a whole like Christmas tree set up last year that I designed based on like some vintage wrapping paper that I found. And I have another Christmas tree I'm decorating right now based on like these weird colors my mom used to decorate with back in the seventies. And so, um, you know, when I go thrifting, yes, I'm looking for like random kitschy crap, but I'm also kind of looking to, to be inspired about colorways or projects or things like that. And how do you keep your stuff under control? I know you say you have like (laughs) a garage full of vintage jewelry findings that you bought for, you know, a business that you were doing years ago and you still have them. And so, I mean, cause that's always my struggle. Cause sometimes, so sometimes I don't go to that, um, church flea market because I'm like, I can't bring in anything else, you know, like, and I I don't have any more shelving space. And then I know I'm missing out on cool treasures and also the fun experience of hunting for them. But then I'm like, I can't bring it in. So how do you like keep all that stuff under control? Do you get rid of stuff over? Do you go through like purges and just get rid of stuff at times? Um, yes and no. I mean, it, it, you know, it looks like Michael's threw up in my house for sure. But <laughs> I mean, you know, when you see all those pretty pictures on the internet, you better bet like behind every closed door and cabinet, there is crap about to like bust out everywhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel you with the flea market, like on Saturday, which I totally think you should go to, but, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> uh, I have to do that too. Like, especially like more than with craft supplies with like home furnishing stuff. I kind of am to a point where I'm just like, if something's coming in then something's got to go out, like here in Austin, we have this store called Austin creative reuse, which is like a thrift store for craft supplies. 
and it is like a seriously dangerous place for me. But I always told myself if I'm going to go, like I have to bring them a box of random crap. Cause it's not only even stuff that I buy. I mean, I'm sure you get two companies just send you stuff. Like you get, you know, craft books and craft supplies and try my new glue and blah, 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 blah. you know, so there's just more of it than I could ever use. So some, I always make myself, if I'm going to those places, I'm like, all right, I got to take a box with you if you're going to bring anything home. Yeah, totally. I, I, the books I get, um, like review copies of books, I donate to the library and they're always really happy to get it because they're new releases. So they don't have them yet. And often they're not really spending on craft books anyway. So um, that's a good place to donate. Good or, place. Good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like a place called Recycled Reads, but I didn't know I could donate it right to the library. This book, this craft store I was telling you about, will take books. So a lot of times I'll do it. And, you know, another thing, too, is I've been trying to review some on uh, Facebook Live and then giving them away that way, just literally kind of flipping through it. And, like, with the people watching, like, you know, I'm looking at it for the first time as I'm showing it to them. Like, let's go through this sucker together and see. <laughs> See what's happening here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and um, and I want to just talk a little bit about um, being a mom. So you know, you started doing working in this industry long before you had children, um, and now you're a mom of two, you know, elementary school age kids. And so, so how did that change things? Did you? I mean, did you take some time off, or did it motivate you in a, in a new way, or did it just not really change things at all? all of the above I'm you know uh, like I said the jewelry business broke when my daughter was really young and I was just you know at that time I think I was pretty overwhelmed and I was like I don't care like I'm not gonna fix it like I don't have time to to screw with this anyway you know and so you know I just kind of slowly started adding things on with that but I think you know in in a way it's like there was a time before kids where I wouldn't have said no to anything, you know, that would have been like an opportunity, even if it didn't pay, if it would have helped, you know, further my business or the trajectory I wanted to go. But, you know, now once you have kids, you have to make, you have to make choices. And I've said no to things that would, you know, take me away from the, take me away from my kids or whatever, you know, they come not to sound cliche, but obviously they come first. So you know, I like, I like the situation and the gigs I have now. It's like, even if like, let's say a TV show came calling. Now I've got two little kids. I can't go live in California for six weeks at a time. Like they're throwing a fit. If I go see my mother for two days, they're freaking out. So, right. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, I mean, it definitely like changes everything as it does for everybody. Right. And what about for like your productivity overall? I don't know for, for me, so I, I started my business at the same time as becoming a mom. So I have, it's a little bit of a different experience. I didn't have kind of a before and an after to compare. Mm -hmm. But um, but I know for me that having kids helps me so much when it comes to productivity because if I have that hour to myself, I use that hour in such a productive way where as in the past I would have sort of wasted it because I, you know, what was an hour, but now like an hour is golden. Oh yeah, exactly. Hence the name, the while she naps. Exactly. No, I, yeah, no, I, to, I totally get it. I mean, it was that way when I, before kids, obviously it's like, you know, I could stay up late. I could work anytime I wanted to, you know, and I think you get like, um, like for me, I was real into like, let's say I was going to make 15 necklaces in a row one day, you know, or I just so happened it would be like, you know, I didn't really start hitting my creative stride until like maybe necklace number 10 in a row, you know, where it was just like, I was just hammering them out and like, they were just getting better and better. And it's just like with kids, it's like, you can't do that. Like there just isn't that, you know, it's like you can put like four beads on a necklace and then there's someone going like, mom, I need a chocolate milk. And then, you know, and then you like get halfway through another one and then someone's like, I can't find that episode of Dora I need. And so exactly. You just like learn to work. Like as to where before I had to have in my mind, it was like, I just have to have like all day alone with my music. And that's how I'm going to work. Like you just learn to channel your creative muse in much smaller bursts of time when you have it. And I've just also like, both of my kids are crafty and arty anyway, you know, and I don't know if that's because they're just naturally inclined that way. Like they inherited it or, you know, bless their little hearts. They figured out that like, if I want to spend time with mommy, I have to sit next to her while she 
paint scrap. I don't know, you know. <laughs> I think of my kids, it might be the latter. They're like, yeah, I, know. I better They're... be in there making something out of the scraps or else she's exactly. not going to talk to me. <laughs> if I want to see mommy, I have to go to the craft table pretty much. So, you know, I've gotten used to too, like if I'm doing something, like I said, I mean, I'm totally not kidding. Like I pretty much make sure that there is like a second version of that, that my kids can do you know, sitting next to me, even if that's like my five-year-old son sitting there like peeling crayons, which is his jam, you know, it's like, that's fine just like sit with me and like, we will all do this right. together, you know, and it's not like sprinkling glitter on wet glue is rocket science. So if like they want to sprinkle the glitter for mommy, then you get on that glitter sprinkling train, like you go for it. Right, right, right. Okay. I think that's you just learn to work with it and embrace it. Yeah. And you know, I always say life has seasons and this is the season. It means that you can't move to LA and, you know, film a TV show if they came calling. But will you be able to do that in a different season? Yes. You know, you just won't be able to do it right now. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not like sad about it. I'm like, whatever. You know, that's why I waited later to have kids. You know, I was in my mid thirties when I had kids and it was because I had all those other like great opportunities, you know, before all that, that I was just like, okay, you know, now I'm ready. Like I've done, you know, TVs, I've written books, I've done this business, I've done this, I've done that. So it's not like, I don't for one minute feel like, like, damn, if only I'd done that with my life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel that now that I'm a mom, I want to, you know, I want to be just as successful at being a mom and hanging out with my kids as I was in every other career opportunity I had. So amen to that. That's, that's yeah, that's we all do, you know, no, we do. I, I totally agree with you. And I, and I think that that's a great sentiment. So, um, so I want to um, make sure we get to your list of things that you recommend. Um, and so you've got a, a couple good things to recommend here. And what I want to start, I'm going to skip to number two first. And that one okay. is um, painting on cardboard. Yes. Um, I guess when you asked me for that, I was like, oh, that was things I was like loving. And I was like, oh, here are the things I love painting on cardboard. You know, I found that like, even when I scrapbooked, I went through like a brief love affair with scrapbooking as I do with most crafts. But, uh, I found like when I did scrapbooking that I worked so much better on in like smash books where the paper was already patterned. It felt so much less pressuring than like a giant piece of blank paper. And I feel that way with cardboard too. Like there's so much less pressure in a piece of cardboard than there is like a canvas. You know what I mean? Like with a canvas, you're like, I'm going to jack this up. And there goes that like $10 I spent on this canvas. But, you know, at the piece of cardboard, you're like, whatever. And then I find I'm like more creatively free because it didn't cost anything. Totally. I'm such you know? a huge advocate of like crafting with stuff other people think is garbage because there's no pressure. And then when you turn that garbage into something awesome, people are like, you're like, see, I made it into something valuable. Like I just love that aspect of craft appeals to me so much. No, I, I do too. Like I, you know, it's funny. Cause like I never did art. Like it was never my jam. And like, I went thrift store shopping and I bought this like bag. This was a couple years ago of like vintage uh, plastic hair curlers. And I don't know why they just called to me. And I did this like whole big crazy series of all these pictures that are framed in the hair curlers. But like most of the, the pictures that I did that are kind of a combination of like paint and collage and embroidery are on like pieces of cardboard. Like literally if you flip them over, like a lot of them are pizza boxes. <laughs> Cause I just, you know, they were there. I had them. I was just like, I'm going to paint on this pizza box because why not? Why not? So my art might smell like pepperoni, but <laughs> it looks really good to me. And that's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. And so you have a new Halloween tattoo. I do have a new Halloween tattoo. That's one of the other things I said I was really into right now. As you know, I I love me the Halloween and the vintage uh, Halloween masks. Masks. I always get my lisp on for that one. Um, and so I had a girl like design one that's like three different Halloween masks and a um, and an ice cream cone. And I and I love it really hard. And maybe you can send us a picture. Sure, I can. It's on my it's on my Instagram too, and on oh, my, I'll steal it. Okay, on my Facebook. Now I'm like, should I get a Christmas tree one or is that just <laughs> I think is that just one. I know it's like or is that just too weird? Where does it stop? Is the Easter Bunny next? No, like, but your tree thing. <laughs> you've got a tree thing. It's okay. You I do have a tree thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks, yeah. Abby. I need to, <laughs> well, I need you, to be tell you to go to that flea market. I, I needed you to tell me to get that Christmas You're tree tattoo. <laughs> We're enabling each other. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. And your last recommendation is a color combination, which is a pretty unique one. So neon pink, gold, orange, brown, and burgundy. 
I, I'm telling you, you when you guys see like my uh, my gold tree that I'm decorating for Christmas, it's gonna be amazing. I was just telling my husband, um, my mom is actually ill right now. We're trying to figure out what's wrong, but she has cancer. Oh. We're trying to figure out what kind. Yeah, so I am doing this is my tree that I'm calling an ode to Freda Perkins. And it when when I was a kid in the seventies, like she lives in like a pristine Victorian house now, she and my dad. But when I was a child, like they had this total like seventies, like, you know, awesome house with shag carpeting and everything was like hot pink with orange and like a little bit of neon pink. And that's what like her Christmas tree was always decorated like in the seventies at that house. And I have some of the tinsel that she had on that original tree. And so that's why I'm like decorating this tree. My, my ode to Freda. I mean, it's got my own spin on it, but like she always had those color combinations in her seventies house. And I think, you know, secretly I always still loved it. I'll blame her for all my weird love of odd color combinations. It sounds amazing. That's I, I want to make sure we see it. It's cooler than it sounds. I promise when you see it, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. It's all clear. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Wall Street Navs podcast. It was so fun talking to you. Well, thank you for having me. I've had such a, a good time going on and on about myself for the last hour. Yay. Well, that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> um, and you've been listening to the Wall Street Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, wallshenaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing and blogging and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And thank you so much to today's sponsor, Story Patches. No quilt is complete without a label, yet many quilters skip this critical last step. Story Patches Quilt Labels makes labeling your quilt a breeze. Your voice and your story matter to your family and friends, and Story Patches are the perfect way to capture and connect that story. These ready-to-use labels come in a variety of designs to match your quilt and take the pain out of labeling. So use the offer code NAPS, N-A-P-S, to get 20% off your order at storypatches.com. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.